HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Bresnitz. Hope everyone is staying safe, staying sane, taking care of yourself, checking in with others, getting a vaccine plan in place, more and more and more. And more slots are opening up. Also, a big shout out to all of our friends in Texas and everyone else affected by these crazy winter storms. Just because they're out of the news doesn't mean they don't need your help. So please check in, see how you can donate resources, time, even just send some positive vibes. Anything goes a long way. We are super excited to be sitting down with Alan Delgado, Director of R&D at Via Halcone Hospitality and the CDC at Zilonen, which is a new sustainable vegan vegetarian Mexican restaurant over in Greenpoint. It's uh, a really great conversation. We talk about him growing up and what he learned from cooking from his mother, uh, his journey to cooking in Brooklyn, and some of the time he spent cooking in Austin. Really fun, great times, very delicious. I cannot wait to get back to Brooklyn to eat at this restaurant. And then we go into the archives. We have a band from Danger Bird, the Pantheons, really, really great band from L.A., bit of a 60s vibe, bit of a punk vibe, bit of a new wave vibe, all in all, just a whole lot of fun, and something that we think you'll uh, really enjoy diving back into. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on HRN. We talk about food. We talk about music. I was like, I'm out with no pain The thief in the night and dance on 
Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. Really appreciate you taking time out of the busy schedule that you have right now. Thank you for having me. Um, it was always fun. Yeah, so you grew up in, uh, on the Texas-Chihuahua border. Um, what do you remember about the food from your childhood, and what stayed with you from those early memories? Well, yeah, I was born in El Paso. We lived in Juarez for up until I was six years old. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, my dad had a good opportunity in uh, El Paso to make more money and uh, support the family. So we moved. And uh, I know for me, I was immersed in Mexican cuisine, Mexican culture. And, you know, being in the border, El Paso is just kind of a a second little Mexico. Sure. Um and so, you know, I grew up eating a lot of enchiladas and, you know, uh, calabacitas, just really uh, home-cooked meals. My mom cooked a lot, or she cooked every day, all the meals. And so, uh, you know, I just I, I do remember the enchiladas from my mom, though. Mm. That's the one that, the one thing that sticks with me. Yeah. Um, Your mom was a big culinary influence on you, right? Um, what did she teach you? Do you remember getting in the kitchen at a young age or was it just like food comes out from the kitchen, but I don't really associate it from like something being <laughs> scratch and then a meal. There just seems to be something delicious coming out. Uh, the smells always attracted me into the kitchen. Um, but you're not really allowed to help a lot <laughs> mm. as, a, as a kid. But when I was, uh, was around 12, 13 years old, my mom became very very ill mm. and so she wasn't able to to cook a lot for us anymore and so that's when I kind of started cooking for her because she had a really strict diet like she couldn't eat any animal proteins nothing with alcohol nothing with too much salt and so you know I just started cooking for her since she cooked for us forever and you know I started taking care of her and and it was just fun being in there and creating uh, recipes for her I mean, that seems like a lot of responsibility and a steep learning curve because not only are you now cooking as, as a kid, which is a lot, I mean, it's a lot as an yeah. adult to cook for a family, but then to also have a specific healthy diet. Um, yeah. How did you learn? Where did you go to? And I mean, what year is this? Cause like, this is, you know, it's not like you can just, now you just go to the internet, right? You just open up your phone and you're like, <laughs> I want to cook easy. a specific diet. Uh, how do I cook it? Here's 10 recipes. But what was it like back then? Yeah. How did it feel to be the person putting up the food for the family? Well, by the time I started cooking for her, I was around, what, 15, 16, right? And yeah. So, I don't know. It's not that difficult. You know, when, when you have certain parameters and guidelines, you kind of just, mm. you know, if they're – you remove animal protein, if you remove alcohol, if you don't add as much salt, you know. Luckily, Mexican cuisine is has a lot of spices and peppers that you can kind of work your way around that to sure. find something that is flavorful. But, I don't know, cooking with veggies was fun and uh, easy because you, you can always cook rice. Either you can sure. always have a base of beans or rice or pasta or whatever and then just build upon that and so... It was just like a little formula that you start to develop, uh, you know, A plus C or A plus B equals C. And so you just learn to adapt and you learn 
what things go well together, what things don't. And so obviously your mom's never going to tell you that your food sucks, but <laughs> well, she, she was, well, depending on who your mom or grandma is, they might tell you that your food sucks. It might be Not like, my mom, I'll tell you that. no, no, no. Um, so getting in the kitchen, 15, 16, you know, that's around the time when people start thinking about what am I going to do with my life? Was that mm-hmm. the trigger for wanting you to work in food full-time or did that come a little bit later kind of i mean I, that, that was also the time where uh food network was pretty fun uh what 2000 how old am i 32 this was what 16 years ago yeah so about 2004 2005 it was yeah pretty fun cool yeah yeah, and then yeah. Uh, so I would always just jump between Food Network and uh, what was it, Animal Planet or something like that. There was like a vet show. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like an ER vet show, and I love that. And so I don't know. I have, at that age, I was either going to be a vet or a chef, and uh, a, a dog that I had passed away and. I was like, man, I can't stomach this. <laughs> I can't yeah. see pets die all the time. And so, you know, I, I tried college after that, but I just, I really hated being in a classroom. Mm. And uh, so I started partying. I dropped out of college. And then uh, I tried uh, culinary school in Austin. That's when I moved to Austin. Mm. So I was like, I don't, I don't want to, I didn't like studying civil engineering. And so... <laughs> I <laughs> I went to school for uh yeah culinary arts which I also hated being in culinary school I think yeah it just it was a waste of money and time for me but uh yeah that's how I got started so I started with my mom you know being sick and having to cook sure. for her and then just watching uh TV and those all all of those uh Le Cordon Bleu commercials really uh so you were in Austin. At a really interesting time, you know, it had started to really come into its own as a food city. Uh, you know, anyone who was there, even till the early mid aughts, it was still Tex-Mex barbecue. You know, there was Uchi, uh, but now it was really exploding into all these different types of cuisine. So yeah. what was it like to be there and who were you working for? Who did you fall in with during that time? Let's see. I got there in uh, 2008. Um, and yeah, Uchi was there or had was just about to open, I think. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Bryce Gilmore and uh, Barley Bryce. Swine on Mar. That was my favorite restaurant at the time. I love it. You can uh, get the whole staff a beer. On the menu, yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. That the was hate. my favorite restaurant to this day. It's still one of my favorite spots. The, the, the uh, hay smoked egg, if I remember correctly, was uh, yeah, and, one and of the legendaries. They were having fun, man. Yeah, they were. You could see it in the cooks. You could see it in the front of the house staff. It was just like, and it was unique to be in Austin. Yeah, because that yeah. that restaurant, I remember eating there and saying like oh, Austin can be something that pulls from different inspirations, but really unique because of its location. Right, yeah, and I think I think Bryce really made Austin happen the way 
it is now. You know, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if he gets enough credit for how that city like really blew up culinary wise, you know, and he created some great talent out of there. Yeah. And, uh, but I started at a, um, old school Italian restaurant called, uh, Treehouse Italian Grill on College Avenue mm-hmm. in Congress. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, it was quite a learning curve. That was my first, uh, real restaurant experience. I had worked at Outback in El Paso, sure. <laughs> a busboy and a dishwasher and, um, but moving there, that was my first, like, line cook. Uh, but then I was promoted to, like, GM and kitchen chef. It was so weird with no kitchen experience. And so uh, it was wild just learning how to like, learn what the fuck I was, I was doing. <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> no one I, had taught me. I think sometimes when you get those training moments at an Outback Steakhouse, which is a lot of the way that people get into the restaurant industry – if yeah, you don't do culinary school, or even if you do, or do you just, you know, there's so many ubiquitous chain restaurants. And you're like, okay, I'm in, and I like this world. And then you go to a mm-hmm. no-name or Italian place, and you go, oh, yeah, I'm going to yeah. cut my teeth here. By the time you actually get to, because you wound up at Sway and Launderette and Carpenter's Hall, it's like, I, yeah. these aren't my first jobs. Like, I've, I have, a, I recognize, like, these four walls, at least. And, like, a rhythm oh, yeah. of, like, a rhythm of, like, what a night feels like. For, for a busy yeah, night yeah. on the line. Yeah, it was all mom and pop shops uh, for like the first four years for me, you know? Because from yeah. there I went to the Whippin', which is another mom and pop shop. Oh, and yeah. uh, and uh, they were my crazy wild days. But it, it, it was fun because everyone around me was around the same age, right? And so we're all, we're all hopeful and dreaming and talking about the future and what we want to do. And so you're just kind of encouraging each other to to follow your dreams. And it was, it was a fun time for me to be in Austin. And, uh, like I, like you said, from there I jumped around because I wanted to learn as much as possible, you know? And I, I was never one of those that would stay at a, <laughs> at a job for more than a year. Mm. Uh, but I was also the kind of person that had three to four jobs at, a, at the same time. Gotcha. And so I was always, I just wanted to learn. And, uh, I think what I got from culinary school wasn't what I really wanted. I wanted to, you know, really know what it's like to be in a kitchen and not be in the, like those fancy kitchens that have all the ovens that work and, <laughs> and that, that have no plumbing issues and sure. <laughs> have new hotel pans and all that. So for the most part, the restaurants that I worked at were where you just had to make shit happen, tie some things together so that it, you know, you have it for service <laughs> and just survive kind of which was uh i think it it has helped me a lot in the long run especially nowadays where people are like oh my god this broke what do i do and he's like just find a solution solution. (laughs) yeah 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 i mean it's you know it's um important to really get good experience i think a lot of people in the restaurant industry see social media now or they see it's like maybe shortcuts uh, and at the end of the day, like there is a business, there is a, a sort of a, a more bird's eye approach to running a restaurant than just mm-hmm. making food to put on Instagram and things like that. There are like the day-to-day things that you just learn from experience, which I think um, is one of the tougher things about culinary school, right? Like people just don't learn some of those real life fundamentals in a classroom, which you could say for anything, but Right. The cost of culinary school and what you actually get out of it, it's a tough 
it's a it's it's a tough sell, especially these days. Yeah, and uh, you know, like you said, it, it is a business in the end, and it's it's a little tricky because a lot of us get into this industry because it's a passion. You know, it's something yeah. that you that you love to do and that excites you. And once you start getting into the the numbers and how everyone has a price tag above their head. And after 40 hours, that price tag <laughs> doubles a little bit. And if you're not making enough money, so you start thinking of that and then you kind of lose track of why you got into this industry, right? Yeah. That passion is kind of, uh, it's taking a backseat because, you know, if you don't have a financially healthy restaurant, then it doesn't really matter what you make or what you cook because you won't have a place to, to cook it in, right? And so... At first, I would get mad because I didn't understand that part. Mm-hmm. You know, I, like, I just want to cook some beautiful food, and why can't we do it? And so I didn't understand the business side of it until, you know, like six years later, when I became a sous chef and had to really work with labor and food costs and all of that. And then, you're know, like, holy shit, when do we cook then? <laughs> like, how are we supposed to create food when all your Time is focused on making sure no one has overtime or making sure that you're not wasting any food or, you know, there's, there's so much that goes into it that it takes away sometimes from the, the passion and creativity. But did you find that once you got over the frustration of not just being able to do what you wanted, but you actually understood the business and that gave mm-hmm. you a new perspective or you know, lane for creativity because you understood within the parameters that you could work and like how you could make something and still feel business, you know, business wise good about what you're making and what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. And, it, and I, I feel, and I say, I feel like it gives you, it adds more value to you if you know how to run a restaurant successfully uh, from the business aspect. You know, if you're able to keep a restaurant healthy, then no one's ever going to tell you to go away because <laughs> you're making the people above you happy. You yeah. don't have to worry about that part. And so, and if you train that, if you teach your staff how to think that way, then it allows you to eventually just step away a little bit and then be able to start to create recipes and create new mm-hmm. dishes and, you know, give yourself a budget so that you can bring in other things, you know? And so I think once you learn that and you accept it and you realize that, if you ever want to own a restaurant yourself, that those are the things that you're going to focus on because it's your name, it's your money and you want to be able to be around for a while. And so, you know, like I tell all my cooks, it doesn't matter if you make the most beautiful food or the best tasting food. If you have nowhere to, to cook it at, or if you have no place to put it on, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. That is a, that is a lesson that applies to a lot of creative endeavors these days. Um, <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about your move from Austin to New York uh, and getting involved with uh, Zilonen, uh, the new restaurant yeah. where you are the CDC. And we're going to mm-hmm. take a musical break. Here's a song from the archives on Snacky Tunes on HRN. Just goes on Like nothing's 
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We have Alan Delgado. And when we left the break, you were still in Austin. You'd figured out sort of how to both make food and also have a restaurant as a business, which is something that is rare and rare, I think, with a young chef or someone who is younger in this field. Um, but the reputation of your work and being able to actually run a restaurant must have gotten out because you were tapped to come to Brooklyn um, to run or at least work with the recipe development at uh, the Mission Start uh, Oshimoko. How did you get involved with the guys? How did you get tapped? How did that happen? How did you get plucked out of Austin and brought to New York? <laughs> I think that's one of the beauties of uh, social media, right? There you, you get go. to network. With people that aren't in your damn city. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that you hear from both sides, right? Like, I don't cook for Instagram or I don't, I only cook for Instagram or this sure. and that. But I think, yeah, it's a, it's a very powerful tool, especially if you want to if you use it right, if you use it for your work. And if you want to network, then it's a great way to reach out to other people. It's a great way for other people to see you. And so, you know, it, it, that's primarily why I use Instagram is because there's there's not a lot of conventions for chefs to go and like meet with owners. <laughs> I don't think and, it's, I don't uh, think there's really any other way unless it's like yeah. I dropped into your city, but that's sort of eradicated in the last year. Yeah, and so it, it's a good way to network, right? There's some negatives to it where sure. eventually all of our food starts to look the same because <laughs> you're inspired by other dishes or other yeah. chefs, and so. But you know. Uh, and when I was at Comedor, uh, Justin, reached out. Uh, Justin reached out to Gabe Alice to because uh, he wanted to open this place, the Lonen. But when he had reached out, it was pre-COVID, and so the plans for Zilonen were a lot different than what mm. they are now. Uh, you know, it's supposed to be in Manhattan, in a hotel, and this and that, and blah blah. And then, so I was supposed to come was it last year in March and do a, a tasting for Justin and then COVID hit. And so it's funny. I was, uh, I was going to take a vacation cause I hadn't taken one in, uh, in a long time since there, since you work in the industry and yeah. uh, I, I was in Amsterdam and then COVID hit. <laughs> so I had to, uh, fly back. And so my vacation was cut short, but uh, I was in El Paso with my, uh, with my dad and my family for a while for a month or so and then Justin reached out again you know we stayed in contact and uh yeah he reached out said that they were gearing up to open Z London and uh asked if I wanted to move up here and you know it's been a lifelong dream I think since I started cooking the goal has always been to be in New York and when he offered I said hell yeah you know it's an interesting thing because if COVID showed us anything, or even the last few years with social media, that you don't have to be in one of the top five American culinary cities or top five culinary cities in the world, right? Like you can go to these smaller towns and open up a restaurant and get national, international awareness because of social media. But there yeah. is that pull of New York, right? There is that pull. Oh, of saying, if not for forever, that I went to New York, I opened a, uh, a restaurant, and it was successful. 
And, you know, it's one thing to do R&D, what they brought you, but you you are now uh, the CDC at uh, Zilonen. What was it like to get brought in? What's it like to have that responsibility? You know, what's it like to, because you, op- you helped open it. Like, what is that journey yeah. like? It's fun. I think the challenge during COVID was that, like, you're not putting food on plates, right? Yeah. You walk in into a restaurant and there's boxes everywhere. Sure. Uh, it looks like an episode of Hoarders. <laughs> it wasn't a while. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the mentality changes, honestly, because you walk in and you're like, here we go again. And so the first goal was to break out of that cycle, you know, like in the end, we're still receiving product. We're still fucking prepping. We're still cooking Mm. and we're still going to push food out. Right. That part has not changed. And that was the first goal of mine was to how do we break out of this cycle? Right. And so clean out the dining room, make it look like we're going to be open for service every day, even if we're not, uh, maintain the kitchen cleanliness organization. Like all of that was the top priority. And so, uh, we went through that cycle first. And then once we were ready to open, instead of thinking of like, Oh, we got to put food in boxes. It was, what can we cook that makes us happy? Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to be in here. We're going to be during this pandemic, right, <laughs> working around other people in close uh, close proximity. So why not make the best of it? Why not have fun doing it? And so that's how we attacked it, right? Uh, as if, like, the pandemic didn't exist. I mean, obviously it does, but <laughs> uh, we went ahead and just had fun. And I think that that was what allowed us to continue to do what we're doing. And, you know, it it is challenging. It is draining. Every restaurant is just running with a bare staff. And so everyone, I feel like you've worked more during these times than before. And so it's tiring, but you know, if you involve the staff, if, if everyone is in it, then you have a, you have a good chance of making some dope food. And you know, that's, that's what we've been doing and trying to inspire each other. Let's talk about the food a little bit because it is definitely a, novel approach in some ways to opening a Mexican restaurant. You know, it's almost all vegan, right? With some vegetarian dishes. And that sometimes... Just two. Pardon? Just two veggie dishes. Just two veggie dishes. So let's just call it for better, you know, for for all intents and purposes, a vegan restaurant, which, you know, can bump with people's perception of Mexican food, especially when you hear a guy from Austin is coming up and opening a Mexican restaurant, you start thinking like, <laughs> okay, I have a good idea. There's going to be queso and there's going to be, you know, all these meats and things like that. Um, but sustainability yeah. and healthy or, or vegetarian or, you know, this whole mix of new approach to cooking is a big core tenant of what you're making. Right. And it's not, you know, it's not mm-hmm. saying that the other type of Mexican food or Tex-Mex is bad or anything like that. It's just a different way of right. looking at Mexican food and a different sort of education to people think there's only one monolithic approach to Mexican food. What made you want to cook this way? And what are you bringing to the conversation that people may have never seen before? Well, for me, this is a little more of a personal uh, journey since, like I said, I started cooking vegan Mexican food for my mom. And so this is kind of like a little full circle. Um, 
but what I am bringing, I guess, is, you know, I was having this conversation with a friend yesterday because when it comes to Mexican food, it seems like everyone has an opinion as to what Mexican food is. Right. And, <laughs> and what it isn't. And I think, I think that last part is actually the most important. It's people are so set on being like, this is a Mexican food. It's like you're literally yeah. talking about an entire country that has That's so many ginormous. regions. It's enormous. Different climates. Different climates, different spices, <laughs> different, you yeah. know, landlocked, ocean, you know, all the stuff. All of that. And, you know, it, it's, it's all about experiences too. You know, mm-hmm. if you grew up poor, you only had certain access to certain ingredients, right? If you grew up wealthy or a little better off than other people, then you were allowed to travel. You were allowed to experience other cuisines, other taste, other uh, spices or product. And as a younger person, you want to take what you know and expand on it, right? And so all I'm showcasing is my opinion and my uh, my life experiences. You know, my, my dad is from Torreón, Coahuila. My mom was from uh, Gomez Palacios, Coahuila as well. And so we, we grew up in Chihuahua. All my family's Mexican, and so, but I lived in America, right? And mm-hmm. I've traveled in America. I've gone to Europe. I've tried different cuisines, and so, for me, this is me gathering all that knowledge, what I like and what I didn't, and putting it together and saying, this is my experience of Mexican cuisine. Does it mean it's regional? No. Does it mean it's, uh, <laughs> like, traditional? No, I hate traditional stuff, you know? There's hundreds of traditional Mexican restaurants. Why can't there be something else that's a little different, you know? And for me, that was the goal, was to not make it traditional, to, you know, honor the traditions, obviously, of treating the corn properly, if we make mole, to make it the right way. Uh, But does that mean that there can be new moles? No. That's that's what we're here for. That's why there's young people around, to take the old traditions and make them – turn them into new traditions, right? And to create new environments and new uh, experiences for people, for them to think that way and eventually put their seal on Mexican cuisine. And But it's funny, yeah, the, the more I post, the more people reach out and say that that's not Mexican cuisine and to stop shitting on their heritage. And for me, it's funny because like, oh, I didn't know you were the founder of Mexican cuisine. And so <laughs> You know, it's it, hilarious. It, it, it's ridiculous, and it's a lot of times it's people who just don't understand maybe your approach. I mean, look, you understood the fundamentals of running a restaurant that allows you to be more creative, right? And allows mm-hmm. you to give people tools so you can do more R and D, create more menus. Yeah. In the same way that you understand the traditional foundations of Mexican cuisine, which then allows you to say, "I'm going to take the base and fundamentals and make a." Mm-hmm. Mexican cuisine the way that I see it and it's just understanding those fundamentals and saying I I respect where it's coming from but as a chef as an artist I'm allowed to push it forward I'm allowed to keep the conversation going yeah and they're all they're all just opinions on a plate yeah and if you don't like my opinion then you don't have to pay for it (laughs) (laughs) go to the and knowing where you are in Greenpoint you know you just head down a couple more blocks you can get a couple of different um you know uh types of Mexican food in that area alone. If you're, if you're not yeah. in the mood for what you're serving up. Yeah. yeah. So it's okay. You know, it's uh yeah, it's so weird how much 
people just have an opinion about Mexican cuisine. Uh, One that it's well, look, you were talking about the flip side of social media, and and this is it, right? Like this is this is the other side of the coin of where you (laughs) you can make really great food and 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 have it on Instagram, and people will pick you out from a different state and say, we want you to oversee this operation because we believe in your vision. And then on the other side of that coin, people going like, that's not a burrito. That's not a quesadilla. That's not a taco. That's not this, that, and the other thing. Right. So as you, you know, I mean, you opened up at the end of last year, you know, you're sort of heading into like your first full year of, Mm -hmm. of operation. The city's opening back up again you know, what do you want the restaurant's place to be in the community? What would you like to do with it? What do you see as the future and how would you like to keep the conversation going with the food you're cooking and the business you're running? Yeah. um, Well, I think with the aspect of sustainability alone, I think if more of us were to do that, we would have a, a big impact on the world, you know. I think that with so many restaurants and the amount of food waste that we create, the amount of plastic that we use, um, we're really killing the earth. <laughs> and so, but there's not enough demand for people to create all of these products that we need that are eco-friendly, that aren't using paper, that aren't using plastic. And so, I would like the conversation to continue on how we can. Uh, create the demand for companies to see this and create things that are going to be sustainable for us, you know, because it's really, it's difficult to get away from court containers. There's nothing that can substitute that. There's nothing that can get away from like plastic wrap. Right. Uh, I know restaurants have done it, but we don't, you know, we're working with Oceanic Global to achieve our goals and all of that, but it's still a challenge and, and it's expensive. It's really expensive. And so you're adding that on top of the daily today operations to run a restaurant and and then COVID and having to buy more to go containers and you know uh, sanitizing wipes and all of that stuff. You're just taking on more and so, but that's one aspect that I would like for for this conversation to continue. But also the conversation of uh, not consuming animal products all the time every day. Um, and it's been uh, it's been a huge eye opener, and uh, I found a lot of respect for vegans. Honestly, <laughs> it's uh, it's a tough tough way to to eat. I think, especially when you're trying to recreate items that like fried chicken, you're never going to recreate fried chicken. Mm-mm. You know, you're never going to recreate a steak. And so, I think that's where you kind of hit a wall. And I think that if you think that way, you're going to always hit a wall. But if you try to just take the product that you have, that Earth has given us, and make beautiful uh, food and try to make great desserts, then then we're on the right track. And I think that the conversation should continue Yeah, with that. I'm with you. I've Whenever I've gone a little meat light in my diet or things like that, I've never been drawn to the replacement products. I just say, give me carrots, beets, cauliflower, you <laughs> yeah, know, like, play with some just, just give me, give, give me what the earth is offering. I don't need to eat the replacement version of it. Um, well, listen, no. Alan, thank you so much for taking the time. Congratulations on everything. If people want to visit the restaurant, see the menu, follow you on Instagram, where can they go? Uh, the website is uh, 
what is it? Zelonen.earth. And uh, we're at 905 Lorimer in uh, Greenpoint. Great location. Seven days a week, Uh, 10 to 9. Arguably one of the most popular and well-known corners in the Greenpoint Williamsburg area. Right off oh, the park. Oh, it's beautiful right next to the park. Yeah. Uh, it's, I've, I've spent many, many a long afternoons in that area. Um, and that restaurant is all windows, so it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful spot. It's gorgeous. Well, listen, thank you so much. We have another song from the archives and then a live performance on Snacky Tunes on HRF. Alright 
My name is Sarah Kim and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. As a Cheeselandian, I am able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue helping to keep us together and connected, and I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to Cheeselandia.com. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz, coming from the legendary Danger Bird Record Studio in Silver Lake. We are here with the Pantheons, Xavier, Sebastian, Omar, and Gary. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. What's up? Hey, how's it going? going on? Um, so most people know Compton as a place for hip-hop and that music scene from the 90s, but there's a whole new music scene coming out of it, which you guys are a part of. Uh, for those unfamiliar with that music scene, can you tell people about what's going on in the backyards of Compton these days? Um, well, who wants to start off? Who wants to go? Uh, I'll kick Pauly. it off. Polly? Um, yeah, well, we started playing backyards like about a year and a half, maybe two years ago. Well, we've all been playing the backyard scene for years since we were kids because that's the cool thing about backyard shows and the punk scene in Compton and South Central, Downey, Long Beach, all those areas is that, you know, all you need is like a couple buddies, and, you know, they don't even have to know how to play as long as they just show up, you know, <laughs> and we've just been playing since we were like 12, 14, you know, so like the scene in Compton right now, like everything's... Punk, ska, psychobilly, and uh, metal. And uh, what we're doing, it's um, it's something different, like throwing in like elements of like goth and dark wave and stuff. So that's what we're doing. And it's a cohesive uh, scene, right? It's not just like a band here, a band there. Like there really is a good community vibe there. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. We got yeah. like a lot of up and coming bands, you know, we, you know, that we play with. Like NNN, Freedom Curse, Diversity. Uh, nocturnals, you know, like we all play shows together, like you know. And how did you individually find yourselves? And the neurotics? No, sorry. No, no, shout them out. <laughs> we're big, we're big shout on out. shout outs here. Um, but how did you guys find your way into the scene? What drew you to it? Um, did you come in as fans first, or did you start a band and that's how you made your way? Fans, in? I think. Fans and music, really. Definitely. Yeah, whatever was playing on the radio at the time. Yeah. So. Um, and is it fun to like? Coming as a fan and start your own band and play with the guys that you were fans of. Oh hell yeah! I think, man. The, I think the best like part is like reading the music and like I just because you guys hang out. Like I think once you become a band, you become family. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of seeing each other. It's on like the a day. second marriage. It is. <laughs> it is. Like people don't realize um, stuff that's going on internal till you're inside the band. Yeah. And that's when you realize everything. But the good thing you get to kind of it's like a family member. You have to take everything, you know. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it's a good place to have another place to go, right? Yeah, like, it's like, definitely, it is, yeah. it is. You need that, um, you need that, that breather. Like. Yeah. I mean, how's it all been important for you to have this community and this scene that's really your own um, and not having to, you know, come to downtown or come over to, like, oh, sort of like, exactly. like, like, what's like to grow something out of your own home? It's it's awesome. Well, we had a show yesterday, which was actually... Was it your house, right? Yeah, it was exactly <laughs> right in my house. That was the first, you know, it's cool, you know? Because, you know, we don't have to rent out a venue. We don't have to, you know, worry about any of that stuff. It's just if someone has a backyard and they're like, hey, I want to do a show here, 
boom, we set up a date, and that's it. If it gets rated, it gets rated. But, like, we don't, you know, we're, like, super DIY. Mm-hmm. Like, we're, like, like if we want to do something, we do it then and there. We don't rent out clubs or any of that I mean, we don't stuff. mind playing clubs either. Yeah, we don't mind it. Don't <laughs> hey, just for the record, we're available for booking. <laughs> we're available for a green room. Uh, yeah. So. Um, <laughs> so, for those who are unfamiliar with uh, the Pantheons, how did you guys get started? Uh, tell us a little bit about the band. Um, well, Paul started the band. When did the band start, Paul? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. We started oh, officially, officially as a band, because, you know, like, you know, at first you, you come up yeah. with, like, a thing, yeah, 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 yeah. and you're just, like, dudes jamming out. You don't like, even have your real? own sound. Like, this is not real, yeah. like, this is a thing. Uh, mad members coming in and out. But yeah. officially, officially, I would say January 2017. I toured with these two guys. We went to this random tour in uh, San Francisco, like January of 2017. That's when we came out with our first EP as well uh, last year. And um, yeah, that's when we officially began. I just wanted to do something different, you know, because we've been part of the scene since forever, and, you know. Right, because the scene is like, you know, is mostly punk, mm-hmm. uh, and what you were saying before. But you guys do have this goth element to it, which is a little bit, which is funny because that's sort of how the history of punk was like punk was like one thing and yeah. then as it went on exactly, it started yeah. to bring in these different elements yeah. and evolve and, and it turns into goth yeah. it turns into and goth. we're trying to bring that back you know because right. people forget that you know goth you know squirrels and chipmunks are goth to punk you know <laughs> goth is punk that's where it came from yeah um how do people react to that? I mean, it is it is a unified scene, but when you start to do something different, sometimes people get a little... Yeah, oh, a, no, a little, yeah. like, uh, eyebrows raised. You're going to have those people that are going to end up jumping off your chip and stuff and then joining something else or I'm not cool with it, but... We, we were doing the, the gigs, remember, first? And then yeah. it was weird. Like, people didn't accept it, like, when we were first playing. Yeah. And that's when I think we started, like, like we should do our own gigs because people weren't... Yeah, they weren't true. responding, right, Paul? Yeah, like, yeah, they were responding. You know, like, yeah, because you know they didn't know whether to pit to it or skank to it or what to do to it. They didn't know what to do. It's yeah. like, nah, I'd rather not. Not. Yeah, sometimes you gotta people show people what to do with their hands <laughs> in a new situation, <laughs> but then they figure it out that it's all come from the same place, right? Yeah, yeah. but I think like like because the, well, the new wave of punks now are like way more accepting of like what we're doing. Yeah, so like they, they dance, they yeah. do whatever the heck they want, and we condone it. <laughs> Awesome. Well, let's uh, let's hear a song. Let's hear. It. What are you gonna play for us first? All right. This next one is called Motel. It's a new one. We're gonna play some new ones today. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, we got Motel by the Pantheons here on Snacky Tunes at Dangerbird on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. <laughs>
Uh, welcome back. That hey, ripped. How's it going? Uh, I do like the sound. I do like the vibe. Um, you know, LA has a long tradition of punk. Uh, germs, XCC, Axe, yeah. things like that. Um, and I know that, uh, <coughs> Gary, you're talking about Misfits, which is not yeah. exactly LA. No, no. But, but, you know, it's like the LA scene, like everything, everyone yeah. from New York, even Sex Pistols made it out here. So, what from like the original punk scene, like what are you pulling from, if both musically and then aesthetically, like what's your approach uh, to your music? What did you love from the past? Punk stuff like oh, we're definitely fans of early punk, you know, seventy seven. Yeah. I mean eighty two, UK eighty two point two. But definitely we get a lot from seventies punk yeah, bands. Yeah, that, yeah. I think we all love misfits, honestly. Yeah. Like, that was kind of a weird thing that we clicked off in the beginning. Uh, we're all we deliver like, Or Sam Hain. They're they're LA yeah. based. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely. But um but um yeah, we get a lot from seventies punk because it's it, when when that wave of punk came out, or that you know the first wave of punk came out, like everybody sounded different. You know, Blondie was punk, Ramones were punk, The Damned were punk. You know, all these first bands like Talking Heads. You know, they were all the new wave of like music at the time, and like they all sounded different. You know, it wasn't until like later on that all those bands started you know getting pigeonholed into the spiky hair studs and stuff. Right. So we were really like that early stuff because their influences were like. You know, T-Rex and glam and all that stuff, so... Yeah, it was, uh, you know, in reading Please Kill Me and, like, learning about, like, the punk scene back then. It was just... (laughs) It was about having a place in a community, which is so much of what you guys are having now, and it was less about being... uh, You're more rhythm guitar than a a fast guitar. It was like, oh, you got keyboards. It was just... We all hung out the same place and played music. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Um, Now, you guys have your own monthly night, too, right? Which, I guess, you were saying came out of... Finding something to do that was your own. Um, how did you start your own night? Why do you want to start your own night? What's it called? Uh, it's called Goth Night. Beautiful. Uh, Love um, it. Yeah, you know, simplicity. But um, <laughs> nothing too fancy. Well, yeah, we did that because, yeah, we were tired of, like, the ska scene and you know we we love the punk scene and the metal scene and all that but you know we wanted to do something our own you know something no one was doing you know. And so, what's a goth night like? Oh, it's pretty awesome. It's, uh, it's, it's like the. Blackest you'll ever see. <laughs> <laughs> we got the we got this uh it's just nothing is, but like dressing dress code like yeah, you, you get a discount if you yeah. show up in all black yeah, yeah. yeah. and we, yeah. we haggle kids like if they have like you know they come with like band shirts like with a white print we're like nope yeah, yeah, <laughs> all black just, just to fuck with black. them yeah all black no but it's all fun <laughs> no we fuck yeah. with them but yeah. Cool, yeah yeah we get only we only get like two or three bands. Because most of it is, like, to throw in that, that, that 80s goth club vibe, you know? Yeah. But for, like, a lot of kids that can't go to clubs, you know, or all that stuff, like, we bring it to the backyard scene. I mean, um, you, I mean, the fact that it's all ages is pretty important uh, to give access to people who are younger. Why do you guys like doing all-ages show? What do you get of a different vibe at those types of uh, uh, events? Uh, there's there's more of a rush because you know kids don't care. They just, you know, they do whatever I, they want. I would say, like, when I was younger, too, it was more taboo. And, it was, uh, I and remember so, um, now it's like they kind of have that. Uh, I, I would have to say that the parents now are more lenient, so they're like, all right, there's nothing that bad. Um, right. Uh, 80s bullshit. Like, a lot of them like that shit. <laughs> so right. It's cool, you know? Like, they're like, can I come? Yeah. Yeah, can I come hang yeah, out in like, the back? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, this is my music. Yeah. Yeah. So, parents so, are the roadies, too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Some, so, which is cool. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, they're surprisingly, there's some bands that have their parents as roadies. And so, or managers. Yeah. They're looking out for them, making sure. I feel like it's. A good idea for kids who are don't got that chance or can go. I mean, 
if you're gonna get fucked up, get fucked up responsibly, you know. Well, it's interesting <laughs> you say that because a lot of times punk is such a like a, a angry or like need a response to like a bad family life yeah. or like things are not good. <sighs> But it seems like it swung back where parents now can find a bond over the music that yeah. you guys are helping share with these kids. Yeah, because a lot of the the punks from like you know the eighties or the you know the nineties or whatever. Yeah, their parents were like what baby boomers or something. You know they came you know, but now the the kids from you know this generation, their parents were the the punks or you know the rockers and stuff. They so they're more relate. accepting. Yeah, they can relate. Yeah. They can relate because they went to shows of their yeah, own and yeah, things yeah. like yeah. that. They know it's, it, there's bad elements. <laughs> Not if you, you know, embrace those elements, then you should be good. Mm. Awesome. Uh, well, let's hear another song. All right. What are you guys going to play for us? Uh, this next one is called Ben's, no, it's called uh, Belasco Tendency. It's a new one. Awesome. Well, another new jam from the Pantheons at <laughs> Dangerbird Record Studios. Let's do it, guys. Um, here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hey, yeah. Let's do this. Let's that shit up.
Another heater. A real ripper. Yeah, it's man. It's a banger, that's man. A, Nothing but ragers. The funnest one to play. Um, <laughs> now, you guys have been playing out for a while. When did you decide that you wanted to start recording? How did that work? Um, at what point do you start saying we got enough songs that we want to, you know? I think that's when well, you put it right now. Like when, when people started noticing and started being like, hey, you guys are good. It's like, fuck, now we got to come out with a demo or something, like music to put yeah. here. Well, because, I mean, how much of it, of this scene is live shows versus recording, uh, or is it a mix? You know, it's like, you, you know, you're putting out a lot of songs on Bandcamp or, you know, digital platforms or 7 Inches versus playing as many shows as possible. Well, I think playing shows comes yeah, first. I think yeah, Because we haven't recorded in about a year. We're going to head back to the studio and do a new, uh, a new album. That should be due... I want to say f late January, early February, but um, mostly live shows. You know, that's that's yeah. that's the main thing. We play almost every weekend. Yeah, you because know, mm -hmm. we, we love it. You know. Um, let's talk about that first EP, Ballet, Ballet of Gunfire. Mm -hmm. uh, how did it come about? Uh, what was the process? Oh man, well, Paul, like he shot me a bunch of ideas for song names, and um, that one was cool. I thought it was like, what should slap it on the EP, you know? Yeah. It's a good name. Like, no, it was good. Cool. They were, at that time, they were working at it together. I think it was just them yeah. two because they were kind of having trouble with um, members, but, like, when I heard first heard the bass line, they shot them to me, and I was like, wow, like, I love it. Like, so yeah. Was, yeah, we started playing it, but they were coming up with a lot of stuff. So, cause, uh, right now, we're not, well, yeah, like Paul said, we're going to go back and record <coughs> it. But, uh, yeah, those little things, I don't know if we'll come up with, like, EPs or little singles here and there throughout the time. We might, you know, uh, we've done it before, but... Right now, I think we're just focused on trying to record the album. Awesome. Now, and shows. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I know merch was such a big part of the yeah, punk scene. Is that yeah. big for you guys, like, doing the DIY shirts and everything like that, or is it... Oh, definitely, yeah. Because yeah. I, mean, I feel like now it's, like, that weird crossover with, like, Supreme Unlimited Drops, and bands mm -hmm. now are doing, like, we're going to make 20 of these shirts, and you get them at the shows, yeah. and we'll make 20 different shirts. Yeah. yeah, it's like they ride, you know, the waves of, like, certain aesthetics, and, you know, they go with it, especially, like... Yeah, with Supreme and all that stuff and SoundCloud rappers, like, they have, like, a specific look and they cash in on it. Yeah. And everybody cashes in on it. Yeah. But, yeah, for us, aesthetics is, like, super important. Well, for me, personally, when I make, like, the visuals, because, you know, uh, I'm an art major, so, like, all the, you know, visuals just, I love them, you know. You know, color coordination or, you know, art pieces that just look neat. I just look at album covers and, you know, just get ideas, just different stuff, you know. I mean, I've always loved that about sort of the punk underground scene is that it's all uh, sort of one art voice and there's just different ways to represent it, whether it's the music or the pins that you guys make or the shirts that you make. Uh, how do you find the best way, like what's the best ideal of representing your whole vibe? Um, fuck, I guess pins right now. <laughs> 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 we have some pins here. Don't forget, yeah, guys, remember when we went to San Fran, uh, we had we took stickers and shirts. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we had our, our first gig. We were so, we were kind of nervous. We went on the road, and this guy told me, I literally joined the band, like, a month in, I think. <laughs> a month prior. Yeah, a month yeah, prior, yeah. and he told me, you want to go? And I, I wasn't, with my band, we were kind of delaying, and we went over there, and they embraced us when we played in, yeah. what city was yeah, it, dude? Uh, um, Ventura. Oh, Ventura. Ventura, we played yeah. there, and it was embracing. Like, I, this is literally, like, we were in the room, we were playing. We played the first song, and I look up, and I see these guys all into it, and the room was packed, dude. Like, it was like, everybody was dancing. I mean, yeah, was that so, was like a year ago. Like, that, like, that, yeah, that, 
was like, in comparison to you know one year ago the scene is different than now. Yeah. But one year ago like that was out like, of Compton though. Yeah, Compton was like you know they didn't really care for our stuff. We had to, we had to we play to out of the city. Yeah, we had to play out of the city because people didn't understand the music that was trying to we're trying to do. And, and now, and now, no, definitely. Oh, people have embraced you. What yeah. was that? What was the change? Like, when did people? When did you realize that the people? When they finally get it together oh, and well, like embrace you and understand what you were doing? Well, actually, I like to think that they. I guess alright. So like, because there's like the, this new wave of punk, and before, like a year, two, five years ago, it was like the punk scene was like mostly dominant in like South Central and like downtown LA and stuff like that. But like. Now it's more leaning towards like North Long Beach and like like it's like a new wave of punks that kind of came on and they they dug it more than the old ones but then the older heads like they're like oh well okay you know well, well the young kids like it right oh yeah. yeah I mean how fast like let's say I were to dip out of the scene for three or four months and then come back in how different would it be how fast is it changing what's influencing that ch that rapid change. It changes, you know, very... I think that... It's, it's very just, volatile. I think yeah. people got tired of it. Like, because like, it was... I think ska and punk has been so dominant in an area that people were just fed up with it. Because you go to shows and it's like sometimes it would just be our punker friends there and they're watching them. Like, when I used to go to shows, I'm talking about a while ago, but we would just be watching it. And like, hey, what's happening this weekend? Oh, it's a ska show. We're like, oh, we'll just stay home. Yeah, like it was no, the same yeah, old. Was so you're like, old. oh, like you're just a ska band doing the ska sound that yeah. you saw the show. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, we have friends that play in ska bands, and we appreciate it. But it was just so dominant that yeah. it's kind of like, okay. I think that if you leave for three months and come back, you probably wouldn't find anything right away. But mm. there's always something going on. Yeah. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, so you got the new album coming out. Uh, show every week. What do you guys see for the future of the band? What do you guys want to be doing? Well, well, we don't see it. Th we we always think everything like short term, you know, like we don't think about that far ahead. We just, you know, what we do and we today, live in the we now. do. We, we yeah. live in the now. Yeah. yeah, basically, you know, like make the best out of every day. So. Like this is fucking yeah. awesome. I've never done yeah. this before. Yeah. I would like Thanks to do for this coming. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Yeah, 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 we appreciate it. We appreciate it a lot. But like, yeah, we always think short term, you know, because yeah. like we don't like. Like after this, we're gonna be like, what's next? Yeah. yeah, yeah, we don't like that mentality. It's just like, oh, tomorrow, you know, uh, so and so has a pin machine. Let's go make pins. All right, you know, just you know, make a goal for like every week. Mm -hmm. We don't see everything like in a monthly or like yearly, you know, then plan. You that we task do. yourself, and then you get all crazy. exactly because then you know, yeah. and the anticipation for it is, you know, leaves a lot of room for procrastination. Yeah, I hear that. And yeah, um, are there any other comparable scenes? I know you said San Francisco, but are there other scenes that you're uh, across America? that have the same sort of vibe that's going on in Compton, or is it just completely unique to what's happening? I think happening? there is. I think there is. It's just the, I think it's always, it's always yeah. there somewhere. Yeah. I, I would say. Everywhere else, I mean, they yeah. have their own little scene, their own little backyard scene. Yeah, it'd I know be. I saw a documentary <laughs> in uh, Mexico City, like, I think less than two years ago. Oh, yeah? And there's a big art scene happening right now, too. Like, it's not big, but it's kind of, it's still there, you know there's what a, I mean? There's a punk scene so, in Pakistan. Yeah, yeah, like it's, yeah. I think everything is always around the world. It's just that it's not seen in the light. You know what I mean? Yeah, LA will always get the you know the spotlight because you know it has a history with punk. Yeah. You know, like places like I don't know, like the whiskey, Roxy. What? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But like other states, like I don't know, whatever other state, Oak you know. Dogs. Florida or whatever, like, you know, they don't oh, get, you know, because who do they have? <laughs> they had less than Jake, punk oh. Scott, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. back in the day. Yeah. Shout out to Kong, because Konger, the other all right, guy all right. on second dudes, he's an old Florida punk guy. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. I saw him coming. He's all coming in. He's telling me about Florida. 
Yeah, scratch that. Right yeah. Scratch that. He's got a has con. They got some yeah. uh, stories. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's got some stories about going to see No Effect and pickup trucks. Um, and now with the internet, because like back in the day, like it was like writing letters, making phone calls, things like that. But with Instagram, things like that, it's got to be easier to like book shows, build a community, it's right? Easy. Yeah, it's like so fast paced. You can yeah. get like. Especially if you have a good reputation, I think. Um, you gotta, still, you gotta be a nice guy, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Like, the best way, because you, you good can good things will happen to you. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, pretty much. Awesome. And before we run out, because I want to make sure we get one more song, uh, Omar, I know you own a restaurant. Yeah. Out in Compton. Alexander's world famous Tortas. Yep, yep. Uh, for those who've never been, What's the deal? What's the vibe? Because um, it got music. There's music there too, right? Yeah, like mm-hmm. the all the guys eat there. Like it's a rock and roll restaurant. Everybody supports there. Yeah. I think the rock scene. The reason we did it too, because like like you said, uh, hip hip hop is so dominant in Compton. Yeah. So when we started doing that. Everybody's like, "What the heck?" Like they would walk in, and you know the food's good. We we tend to our customers. Our our main thing is customer service. Beautiful. Besides the food being, you know, food number fresh. one. Yeah. Equal customer service exactly. and good music and good music. We're always bumping. We even bump. Um, we bump locals. We bump everything that's happening too. So we we switch it out, and we're we're, we're tending to the neighborhood. I would say it's we cool to have food. a clubhouse with good food. Yeah, heck yeah. Oh yeah, Pretty awesome. Much, yeah. Um, you need vegan oh, options. <laughs> vegan <laughs> options. Yeah. You can fry up some. Uh, <laughs> was it jackfruit? I don't know. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. That's yeah. what I was telling you. And then Tuesdays, uh, we I would have, know nothing about that. I mean. <laughs> Tuesdays we have uh, music open, so yeah, live music, live music every other Tuesday. Some bands will come, like, but some mm. of the guys work. But there's a lot of good bands that come out. Yeah. Like after you know we punch out of work, like some guys just go and chill out at the restaurant and play jam out. Songs, yeah. we give them some food, and everybody's happy, and you know. Dude, that's awesome. I love it. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming by. Uh, where can people find your music? Where can people find out about your shows? You can find our stuff on uh, Spotify, um, iTunes, every musical platform, YouTube, if you don't want to pay for that stuff. And um, you could check us out on Pantheon's official on Instagram. And you could email us through there, too. Awesome. The Pantheon's music at gmail.com. And what's the last song we're going to hear? The last song is uh, a more punkier one. It's called Benson and Hedges. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. Thank you to Dangerbird. Thank you to everyone. Uh, one last talk from Pantheons, then we'll see you next week on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
trash uh, I send her ways that you can't imagine I smell so much cigarettes Not everything to feel Not ever I've been sleeping My sins only come over I've been sleeping This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.